The following podcast is part of the MindBodySpirit.fm podcast network. Want to fearlessly explore your creative spirit? Join artist Susie K. Edwards for Path of the Butterfly, a weekend workshop at Omega Institute's beautiful campus in Rhinebeck, New York, May 24th through 26th. Experiment with a variety of art forms, engage in mindfulness, walking, and silent meditation, and discover a new and free-flowing creative vision. This workshop is for beginners and professional artists. Learn more at eomega.org thrive. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Support for this show comes from the world-famous annual International Yoga Festival in Rishikesh, India. Deepen your practice, explore your soul, and expand your consciousness in the lap of the Himalayas, the birthplace of yoga with yogis from around the world. Learn more at internationalyogafestival.org. From Spirituality and Health magazine, this is Essential Conversations. Our guest today is Dr. Beth Darnall. She's a clinical professor in the Department of Esthesiology, Perioperative and Pain Medicine at Stanford University. She's the author of Less Pain, Fewer Pills, Avoiding the Dangers of Prescription Opioids and Gain Control Over Your Chronic Pain, and her new book, The Opioid-Free Pain Relief Kit, 10 Simple Steps to Ease Your Pain. Uh, These are really powerful, powerful and very helpful books for those who are experiencing chronic pain. Her work has been featured in Psychology Today, San Francisco Chronicle, New York Magazine, Forbes, Scientific American, Washington Post, Time Magazine. I got a whole list here. Her essay, The Tao of Chronic Pain, appears in the January-February issue of Spirituality and Health Magazine. Dr. Beth Darnall, welcome to Essential Conversations. Thank you so much, Rami. It's such a pleasure to be here. Well, I am very much looking forward to this conversation because I think what you're dealing with is, or what you're addressing better, is really important. So many people, I think I read uh, that you said one in three Americans suffer from chronic pain. It's true. And in fact, one in three individuals worldwide is living with ongoing pain of some type. So it's really relevant to all of us. I like to say to people that if you don't have chronic pain right now, if you live long enough, you will. It's just inevitable. So it's a sign of victory then. <laughs> I've lived long enough to feel crappy all the time. True, it's true. But but see, here's the idea is that, you know, we define chronic pain is pain that lasts three months or longer. Um, but it's important to know that it's not necessarily a life sentence. Some pain does resolve and there are strategies and ways that, you know, we can focus on treatments and ways to help that pain resolve. And even when pain doesn't resolve, there is so much that we can do to live our best life within the context of that pain. So before we go into chronic pain and the especially meditation aspect of, of the you know, living with it, 
I, I want to go back to something you wrote in this uh, essay in Spirituality Health magazine, where you write that pain is a catch-all term for the uncomfortable, if not noxious, experience. But then you say that pain is essential to our survival. We're not talking about chronic pain yet, but pain has an evolutionary advantage. It's, it's important to our lives. Without it, we would be in trouble. Can you elaborate on that a little bit? Pain is a very useful signal. It alerts us that there's danger or harm afoot. It's really designed to get our attention so that we can escape whatever is causing the pain, get away from the threat. So our brain and our nervous system process pain as a threat to our survival. And so we're really motivated to escape it. So if you feel pain on your foot when you take a step, you are going to jerk your foot away and want to get away from that, whether that happens to be a dog that's biting your foot or if you stepped on something sharp. It is designed to get your attention so that you can get away from whatever is causing the pain. But once pain becomes chronic, this is the problem. We can't readily escape what's coming from inside of us. You can't just run away from from a migraine or your back pain. And so these pain signals are ongoing in the nervous system, and that can be quite confusing and distressing. We have to learn strategies and techniques to modulate that pain signaling. So the way you put it in the magazine, this really caught my eye. I'm just going to read it back to you. Persistent or chronic pain is different from regular pain. Persistent and chronic pain is different because it no longer has survival value. It doesn't tell you what to do because you can't escape from it. That's right. That's right. So it sounds to me, I mean, I know we're talking about specific pain and I don't want to, I mean, I'm a philosopher by training, I guess. So I don't want to get away from the, ab- the, the concrete, but it sounded like this sort of an existential reality, whether you call it chronic pain or not. There are certain existential realities that are no longer uh, evolutionarily helpful to us, and we have to just learn to live with them, but they have no survival value. And I'm just wondering if you see the larger picture in which this chronic pain uh, exists to have some... Does that speak to you at all, what I'm saying? It it does. It does on two levels. I mean, the first level is that, you know, some of us as humans, we're we're hardwired to be more responsive to pain. It gets, you know, it gets people's, uh, certain people's attention more than others. For instance, pain is really good at getting women's attention and holding their attention on it. And we could talk about the survival value there to women and being more more responsive to acute pain and the, you know, the survival mechanisms there. But I think what you're getting at, Rami, is also, you know, a larger existential question around chronic pain and what is the value of chronic pain? And, you know, I I can't tell you the survival value of chronic pain, but I can tell you an existential value to chronic pain. And it gets our attention in a different way. If, If an individual is going to learn how to best self-manage pain and to live their best life with ongoing pain, it requires that they pay 
exquisite attention to the pain and identify how their life needs to be adjusted. There is always adjustment that must occur. And typically, the adjustment is within the context of relationships, relationship with oneself, relationship with family members and loved ones, uh, adjustment with uh, relationships with coworkers, for instance. Chronic pain management requires that we come into a fundamental understanding of what it is we need to take better care of ourselves. And this is, this is an, uh, an individual question. It is, it is truly personal and individual, but it is, it's deeply personal and it's deeply spiritual as well. What is the unmet need or the unmet needs plural. And usually it's, it's not just one domain. We probably need to make adjustments with ourselves and with our spouse and our family member, and probably make some adjustments in other areas of our life as well. And this is a, a, one of the realms of pain psychology is to facilitate this discussion, this introspective discussion about the personal adjustments that are required. So you're referencing pain psychology, and it was a new term to me, uh, and, and I imagine it, it may be to, to those who are listening as well. So is when you say pain psychology, can you give us a quick definition, then I want to ask you something about it. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, most people don't haven't heard of a pain psychologist. I am a pain psychologist, and so I have a doctoral degree in clinical psychology, postdoctoral fellowship training in the treatment of pain, and I have been only treating individuals with chronic and acute pain for the past 15 years. Somebody who calls himself a pain psychologist is truly a pain psychology specialist. Um, there can be varying degrees of experience w within that realm, but it's typically a doctoral degree, postdoctoral training, and some clinical specialty in that area. So this really is exploring a dimension of pain far beyond the, the physical. It embraces and transcends that the physical reality someone is dealing with, which is why I, it sounds to me like you brought up this notion of being able to answer the question, what is it? you know, we, the person needs to take better care of herself. Um, how hard is it when, when you're sitting with a client or patient, how hard is it for them to answer that question? Do they, I, I imagine most people can't answer that whether they're in pain or not. Well, so here's what's curious is that most people actually um, have, a, have a really good understanding of what isn't working well in their lives. And if, if they don't even have that awareness, it comes out of their mouth regardless um, because it's part of the narrative. It, it's part of identifying what isn't working, what are the biggest barriers. Um, one of the questions and, and threads of conversation that we will follow with people is um, how they treat themselves. You know, what is their view of themselves? Often people who have chronic pain are quite hard on themselves. I mean, this is probably a universal human experience, but once we have chronic pain, some of these 
things and, you know, little dynamics that we might be able to get away with when we're pain-free suddenly hold real consequences um, within the context of pain because we no, no longer have the luxury of abdicating self-care when we have chronic pain. Because if we abdicate self-care, then we are compromising ourselves. It is going to lead to worsening of pain over time. So it will continue to amplify as it seeks to get our attention over and over and over again. And so when people finally come to me or someone like me and they say, I'm really desperate, you know, I, I need to get control and I'm willing to do anything. Those are the magic words because I know that they're just truly receptive. And then we can start talking about what's the formula to self-soothe? What is the formula to start nourishing our mind and our body and our spirit so that we're not unwittingly amplifying our pain with our thoughts, with our behaviors, with our emotions that are sort of, you know, can be in a negative way, understandable, but they're feeding back into the pain experience. One of the things, you know, you, you had mentioned earlier about physical pain. Most people are surprised when I tell them that the actual definition of pain is that it's a negative sensory and emotional experience. So I really want to underscore that, that the emotional experience, the psychological element is in it, it is endemic to pain it is integral to pain so if we simply treat pain as if it's a physical symptom we're missing half the equation and if we treat half of anything we really can't be surprised when it's not working well that brings me to the second half of of really what you're exploring and uh, using mindfulness-based stress reduction you know, mind, you know, mindfulness meditation in, in this regard. I first learned about this use of meditation in chronic pain. I, I'd studied with uh, a doctor here in Nashville, uh, Dr. Gordon Pierman, and he was working with, I think it was integrative medicine at Vanderbilt, and he was teaching a class in uh, MBSR, mindfulness-based stress reduction, to people uh, with uh, cancer. and I, you know, I, I, I went to learn the technique. He invited me to come and, and just learn how it worked. I wasn't suffering from anything like that, thank goodness. But the people who were, you could tell just in the conversations we were having that the pain was one thing, the cancer was one thing, but the psychological reaction to them seemed to be the bigger thing. Want to fearlessly explore your creative spirit? Join artist Susie K. Edwards for Path of the Butterfly, a weekend workshop at Omega Institute's beautiful campus in Rhinebeck, New York, May 24th through 26th. Experiment with a variety of art forms, engage in mindfulness, walking, and silent meditation, and discover a new and free-flowing creative vision. This workshop is for beginners and professional artists. Learn more at eomega.org thrive. Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble. 
with exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. This episode is brought to you by La Quinta by Wyndham. Your work can take you all over the place, like Texas. You've never been, but it's going to be great because you're staying at La Quinta by Wyndham. Their free bright side breakfast will give you energy for the day ahead. And after, you can unwind using their free high-speed Wi-Fi. Tonight, La Quinta. Tomorrow, you shine. Book your stay today at LQ.com. Yeah, it's so true. And, you know, that's, that's really true with chronic pain. I mean, there is the pain and then there is the suffering from it. And, you know, we go back to Greek philosophers. You can go back, you know, teachings from Buddha, Eastern philosophers, all of these spiritual teachers, and they, they all carry that same message. There is the thing, and then there is the suffering from it. The one thing that we can control is that suffering piece. And there's a really clear method and formula for it um, that on the surface sounds fairly simple because it involves Um, It can involve meditative techniques. It can involve using cognitive behavioral therapy strategies. Fundamentally, what we're learning how to do is calm the nervous system because the nervous system goes into high alert when we feel pain. And that causes a whole cascade of stress responses and emotional distress. So there's the trigger and then there's this automatic cascade that compounds the impact of pain and our suffering from it. And that's the piece that we can target and we can target it so effectively so that people will say, you know, I still have pain, but I have control over it. I'm not focusing on it. It's not controlling me. Yeah, that's what, <clears throat> that, I mean, I, not only did I hear people say that, I saw people living that way, people who started the program who could not do a certain thing physically, not because the body wasn't un, was unable, but because they had, they were afraid it was going to hurt or, or something like that. And through the mindfulness program, they could watch the pain, uh, but not allow the pain to dictate their, 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 their behavior, their range of motion and do things they didn't realize they could do. That's it. That's the formula. And you can get there through mindfulness-based stress reduction. You can get there by working with a pain psychologist and using various strategies. Um, There are many different modalities. We're all doing the same thing. It's like it's all ice cream, but there's different flavors of it is kind of how I like to think about it. There's different pathways to get there, but we're kind of all fundamentally doing the same thing. We're, We're retraining the brain to no longer perceive pain pain as that harm alarm, as that threat, we start to gain better control over mind-body responses. And so once we no longer have that harm alarm ringing so loudly, we start making better choices that are grounded in true knowledge. You know, knowledge that movement is actually medicinal. We need to, you know, it needs to be appropriate movement, but movement isn't something to be feared or avoided. Movement is medicinal. Find the right movement and start engaging and then start strengthening over time. 
And what people start to do is they start living beyond their pain. It's absolutely magical. And it's, it's, it's so gratifying as a clinician because you get to see, not only do you see people get better, but you see them accessing their inner freedom. Their lives are completely transformed. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, I can attest to that just watching people in this program. I, I would have put it, uh, it's not that they get better, they get freer in a sense. I mean, that's, that's what it looked like to me. Let, let's just, we only have a few minutes left. And, and I've, I mentioned mindfulness-based stress reduction, and I'm looking in the article that you, that you have in the January, February issue of Spirituality and Health. You list a number of these uh, modalities, uh, cognitive behavioral therapy for pain, acceptance and commitment therapy. And you also mention compassion cultivation training. And the other two I've seen written about before, this this one was new to me. So can you talk to us a little about? It? I mean, it, it's, you've got the connection with Tong Lin and the Buddhist and the Tibetan Buddhist tradition. How how does tell us a little bit about compassion cultivation training? Yeah, there is um, a compassion. Um, uh, center here at Stanford and they teach compassion cultivation training. And so it's a, a series of sessions, eight sessions, and members come to the classes and they learn different exercises. But, you know, at the core is teachings and uh, cultivation exercises where an individual meditates on cultivating compassion for themselves, for a stranger, for a loved one. And then ultimately, the biggest challenge is, you know, somebody that you're having great challenges with in your life. Each, you build your ability and strengthen your ability to engage in meditation of holding compassion for various individuals and varying levels of challenges. And through those exercises, one is um, sort of strengthening that muscle of viewing others with empathy, with kindness, with true compassion. They are also beginning to reap the benefits of um, growing that compassion capacity over the series of weeks they start to observe how that cha how it changes how they feel in daily life um, people start to observe that maybe they're less triggered less reactive um, so they start to observe the benefits of it a few years ago, we did a study on compassion uh, cultivation in people with chronic pain. And um, what we observed in that work, in that research, was that it was effective in reducing their pain intensity over the course of those eight weeks, and that um, it was also linked to reductions in anger. So people basically found one of the things that you find with individuals with chronic pain, they'll tell you this is a, there's a lot of irritability um, because, you know, that just goes part and parcel. When you don't feel well, you're kind of grumpy, but then there's a lot of barriers that one is contending with. Um, people may hold anger with themselves, with their bodies for failing them. They may be irritated with partners, et cetera. 
And we found that this compassion cultivation um, effectively allowed individuals to release anger, to come into uh, a more adaptive emotional experience, and that that correlated with reduced pain. Um, This actually isn't surprising to me because as a pain psychologist, we know that when people have less anger, less depression, less anxiety, pain intensity is concomitantly reduced. Let me ask you one final question, then we'll wrap it up. Your, your new book on opioid-free pain relief certainly is going to draw from these other things. If somebody who's listening or they know someone uh, who is suffering from chronic pain and they don't have access to you or Stanford, where, where would they start to try to find this alternative way to uh, dealing with their reality? Yeah, you know, that is the exact reason I wrote the opioid-free pain relief kit was to give the everyday person who has chronic pain and is looking for a drug-free way to self-manage their pain and to get back on a road to doing the things that they love. That's exactly why I wrote this book. It's um, quite accessible to the to anybody living with chronic pain and includes an audio file and audio CD um, and people create a personalized plan. So it's kind of like your pain psychologist in a book. But beyond that, I want to mention two other resources. One is the American Chronic Pain Association. Um, you, they have a beautiful website with lots of resources for people who are living with chronic pain, looking for um, solutions and a roadmap. So the American Chronic Pain Association. It's the ACPA.org is the website. And the second website is called the paintoolkit.org. And this was uh, this is an organization out of the UK uh, developed by Pete Moore, who suffered from chronic pain for many years and was really let down by the medical system and had uh, started on his own path to recovery, utilizing self-management. And he has put together a wonderful website with a wealth of resources, downloadable forms, videos, just a ton of resources um, because he wanted to connect people with chronic pain with all of the information he wished he had back in the beginning and is known to be so helpful to people today. So those are two very low cost and uh, pathways and many of the resources on these websites are free. Very helpful and a perfect place to bring the conversation to a close. Our guest today was Dr. Beth Darnall. Her essay, The Tao of Chronic Pain, appears in the January-February issue of Spirituality and Health magazine. And her two books, Less Pain, Fewer Pills, Avoid the Dangers of Prescription Opioids and Gain Control Over Chronic Pain, and The Opioid-Free Pain Relief Kit, 10 Simple Steps to Ease Your Pain, are both amazing resources in addition to the ones that she's just mentioned. You can learn more about her work at bethdarnall.com. So Beth, thank you so much for being with us on Essential Conversations. Rami, it was truly my pleasure. Thank you. You're welcome. Thank you. Support for this show comes from the world-famous annual International Yoga Festival in Rishikesh, India. Deepen your practice, explore your soul, and expand your consciousness with yogis from around the world and do so in the lap of the Himalayas, the birthplace of yoga. Learn more at internationalyogafestival.org.
Before we sign off, let me remind you that this year is the 20th anniversary of Spirituality and Health magazine. As part of our celebration, I'm leading an interspiritual tour of the Holy Land. This is part tour and part pilgrimage as we engage in contemplative practices linked to the various sites that we'll visit, Jewish, Christian, Muslim, and Baha'i. For more information, please visit us at spiritualityhealth.com slash holyland with Rami. Essential Conversations with Rabbi Rami is a project of Spirituality and Health magazine. Please log into spiritualityhealth.com to subscribe to the magazine in print or digital formats and download the iTunes app for this podcast. While you're on iTunes or wherever you get this podcast, leave us a rating and a review. We can always learn how to do this show more effectively if we have input from those who care enough to listen. Essential Conversations is produced by Ezra Baker, and our program coordinator and executive producer is Alma Tassi. I'm Rabbi Rami. Thanks for listening. I'm Rachel Corpus, an angel communicator, psychic medium, and host of the Angel Talk podcast. This show is meant to help you remember who you are, a limitless being with shoes and socks on. And along the way, we'll connect to people on the other side and experts in the field like authors, healers, animal communicators, and more. Listen to all my shows at Mind, Body, Spirit FM or wherever you get your podcasts.